With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yes, yes. Welcome in to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. Live. On podcasts from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, I am your host, Tim McKernan, alongside executive producer of the Inside STL Podcast Network, John Seymour, also known as the Sea Monster. So let me uh, let me do a, a reveal here. Assuming you listen to these in order, which really isn't a fair assumption, because I bet there are a lot of people who are going to listen to this interview with Bill DeWitt III, the St. Louis Cardinals president. Uh, and and maybe did not listen to the Dave Peacock interview about the Rams relocation process and um, and the MLS vote uh, failing in St. Louis. But I also know a large number of people did listen to it because I see the numbers. But the point is this, is we drove out to interview Dave Peacock. I was with the Seamaster, and I said, I think this is going to be the first of our interviews that gets some criticism. And this is before we even did the interview. And my reasoning was, I thought that uh, many people, understandably so, and I would put, uh, you know, myself and others, are so angry about what happened and feeling like it was a rigged game that you want to hear Dave Peacock get fired up but I know Dave Peacock's style is to be analytical and take the emotion out of it. And then also, I believe, he may have reserved some of his comments because of the pending litigation. So the natural response from those who aren't familiar with those circumstances that I decided would be to get angry that they didn't get blood. Surprisingly, I have to tell you... um, the interview didn't get that response. There were some people who said they, they could tell Peacock was guarded, uh, but uh, I got a bunch of emails. People really enjoyed it, which was good, because I was kind of like, yeah, people might take it out on me, and that comes with the territory. It's fine. You do this for a couple decades. You get used to it. Um, but I also know when circumstances are under my control and, and out of my control, uh, and uh, fortunately people recognized it for what it was and they, they enjoyed hearing the background of the story. So that was great. The Bill DeWitt Jr., or excuse me, Bill DeWitt the third interview, the Bill DeWitt the third interview uh, is one that I went into the interview expecting it to go one way 
and it went a different way. So whereas I handicapped the Peacock interview, which was, if you're listening to these chronologically, the week before, uh, accurately in the sense that he answered questions the way, for the most part, I expected him to, although there were certainly some things I, I learned in the interview, uh, Bill DeWitt third, man, we got some good stuff here. Because I, I said to the Seamaster before we recorded this intro, I said, so what were the things you were there? What stood out to you? And then he starts listing. I'm like, my God, this was good. And I, I and it's one of those things you get done and you, and you know, you know, if you feel like the audience is going to like it or not. Uh, the Mike Bush interview, for example, I knew was good. I just didn't expect it to resonate as much with the audience as it did. And that's great to, to have happen. Uh, with this one, my guess is uh, a lot of people will be talking about it. Uh, again, this is never because of me. This is because of the interviewee. And we talked about so much. Now, it, Bill was expecting, I think, for it to be a lot of Ballpark Village because he had me come into his office and wanted to show me the renderings of the Ballpark Village Phase 2. And so we spent a good amount of time on that. And I was legitimately curious about it uh, as somebody who lived in downtown St. Louis uh, from 2009 through 2012 of what kind of demographic they expected to live in what would be considered luxury apartments um, because my thought process was, as you will hear Bill and I discuss, if you're making a good amount of money in St. Louis, you are usually, if you're going to rent, live in Central West End or Clayton, but more often than not, you're going to buy a home. Uh, it isn't New York City where you need seven figures to, to buy a condo and live in Manhattan. So it's a different program. Um, so I was curious about that, but also something that I know from some small business owners who owned businesses in downtown St. Louis over the last few years who have shut down or experienced uh, their revenues decline, and that is the impact of Ballpark Village on those businesses. So we discussed that, and he gave his perspective on it. But we certainly talked about a variety of topics that certainly Cardinal fans uh, who aren't interested in the business of the baseball team would be interested in. Um, and among those, uh, would be one thing that really stood out to me after we posted a clip from the interview and it stunned me, the response. And maybe some of those of you who responded are listening to this and you're going, screw you for being surprised. It's possible. Uh, I asked Bill DeWitt the third, if the Cardinals were done for the off season uh, now, keep in mind, you are listening to this interview on January 15th. The interview was recorded like January, I don't know, 4th. Okay, thank you, Seamaster. So, you know, there is some data. Who knows? The Cardinals might have gone out and, and traded for Bryce Harper by the time you hear this. But the point is this. Uh, he said, John Mazalock said that the Cardinals could be a playoff team with what they have right now but they are in a position to still make moves either now or at the trade deadline. And our goal is sustained competitiveness, which is what he uh, certainly has been a part of since the team really began a run of being competitive at the very least going back to 2000. Well, to my surprise, I mean, for real, to my surprise, and some of you might be listening and really being irritated by me continuing to say to my surprise, but to my surprise, there was a reaction from a segment of fans on Twitter that were furious with the soundbite because they felt like it was more of the same. Personally, I disagree. First off, the team went out and signed Dexter Fowler and Brett Cecil last year. Now, I wasn't on board with the Fowler signing. Still not. 
I wasn't on board though before his 2017, and I wasn't on, and it's not necessarily because of his performance in 2017. It's because I think he he got way too much money for what he's going to be over the term of the contract, and I think the contract will be not necessarily an albatross, but one that the Cardinals won't enjoy having on the books the next few years. It's not a shot at Dexter Fowler. Big fan of Dexter Fowler, the person, just don't like the deal. But he was the prize free agent following the 2016 season, and then the team is called cheap. I just don't get it. I don't get the anger about that. I don't get it. And then Brett Cecil got an asinine deal. Uh, so to call it cheap, I just I personally disagree. Now, if you you know dissent, God bless. Uh, but that's where I'm coming from on it. So I actually asked him uh, what his response is to fans who say that the DeWitts are cheap. And uh, that provoked uh, a good exchange. Um, so you'll hear that. Uh, also, we discussed Major League Baseball expansion, which then led to discussion on rule changes. And that wasn't something I was necessarily expecting. And the thing that stood out to me most, and I mean caught me off guard, but I couldn't salute Bill enough, is I asked him about the Rams relocation. And he was... I mean, couldn't be more candid. And I, I don't want to spoil it for you, but you will hear it. And I assure you it will stand out to you when you hear it. A uh, couple elements, and it involves both Tom Stillman and Stan Kroenke. So you'll want to hear that. Uh, now, from my standpoint, something that's very significant to me, which is super creepy as a 41-year-old man, is the Cardinals removing the navy blue caps from the main road uniform like six years ago. Uh, now, they wear them every once in a while when they're playing a team with red caps, and that team's at home. But for the most part, the Cardinals wear red caps and the gray jerseys, which reminds me of, like, the, you know, 1991 team in the Todd Burns trade. And I'm just like, why would you mess with this classic uniform that, since it's been switched, has had this incredible run uh, in Build With the Third, uh, who, as it turns out, is a Ryan Kelly Morning After listener, as you will hear, uh, addressed that. Uh, and he knows, because he listens to the show, that I'm not a big fan of the Red Caps on the road, nor is one of my co-hosts, Doug Vaughn. And so we got into that that whole deal, uh, which I enjoyed going back and forth on with him on the Cardinal uniforms. And then finally, he got a chance to play last year because of his rapport with Wayne Gretzky, with Dustin Johnson in the Seminole uh member pro tournament last February, and I believe they finished second. And Bill, for the record, is a two handicap, and you will hear about the difference between playing as a two and playing with Dustin Johnson, in particular off the tee. And oh yeah, who else was part of the foursome? Ricky Fowler, who had just won the Honda Classic less than 24 hours ago, and Bill has a story about that. So this was an interview that I think there was a lot of anticipation for the Peacock interview, um, my guess is after you're done hearing this one, this one will be the one that uh, will uh, stay with you more so because you hear Bill DeWitt III in a way that you most likely uh, have not heard before. Uh, it's all from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, one of our great sponsors here on the Tim McKernan Show. Uh, Ryan Kelly uh, says you would think that everyone by now would have refinanced, but they haven't. And when I asked Ryan why people haven't, he said one of the biggest reasons is they don't think their home will appraise high enough. Well, home values are skyrocketing, so maybe even if you have tried in the past and your house didn't appraise, it will now. Plus, Ryan Kelly closes loans all the time 
without an appraisal. It's Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly and the Home Loan Expert team work hard so you don't have to. If you are looking to refinance or purchase a home, why would you go anywhere else? Call Ryan at 314-781-9700 or visit thehomeloanexpert.com. So without further ado, here he is, the Cardinal President, Bill DeWitt III. So let's take a look at what we have here with left field and what is going to be going on uh, there for those of you who are not familiar with what is going to take place here with phase two. Yeah, I mean, just without even looking at the picture, I can kind of describe it. If you're sitting in the stadium okay. and you're looking out, and let's say you're at home plate, okay. um, the, the only building you'll really see that's going up in phase two is the apartment tower. I mean, that's going to be right there to the right of the current ballpark village, to the east of it. There's a little thin parking lot there right now. And so that's the base of the building. There's parking underneath and then a big podium on top of the parking where all that amenity stuff is for the residents. Tower and then all the units above that. Okay. So that will be within sight and really part of the downtown skyline in the future. And uh, how, pretty, how tall will this be? It's 29 stories. Okay. Um, so pretty good size and uh, about 300 units as well. So really uh, t- creating some density down here in this little nook of downtown. Mm-hmm. On the left side or the west side of the existing ballpark village, um, is really three uh, buildings, although there's some attachments. But you have a hotel on the southwest part of it, uh, closest to the statues or the retail store okay. that's currently right. uh, in the left field area of Bush Stadium. And then behind that, or to the north of that, will be the office tower. It's kind of connected a little bit, but it, it will have a feel of a totally separate building and some different skin on the outside and so forth. And that's a 120,000-square-foot building, uh, anchor tenant, Price Waterhouse Coopers, um, and then that's about half the building, and then the other half will be um, a series of smaller tenants that will fill it out, um, and we're still working with <laughs> leasing and things like that. Um, the third key use on the west side of it is this, we call it Block 200, but it's the it's a smaller block. It's kind of a half block. Uh, really sculptural, artistic-looking building, mostly glass, three stories tall, just to the north of the old Bush 2 infield, which is there now. And uh, the primary use will be a health club. Uh, One Life Fitness, we announced uh, at the groundbreaking. Um, a great concept for really getting people downtown on a daily recycling basis. So, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully they'll have 5,000 members. You know, that's kind of their model, maybe even more. And, you know, a 1,000 of them or, you know, 500 to a 1,000 every day will be down here working out or yeah. doing health club classes or training. And this is a that. big gym. This isn't, you know, like a little – this is a – No, this yeah. is a big deal. Big gym with a lot of glass so people will have kind of that open environment with a lot of equipment and – but also kind of that fun vibe. Yeah. You know, I know um, there's a big difference between a gym that has all the equipment that you want and a gym that has all the equipment plus a cool environment yeah. and a cool vibe and the music and the, and the <coughs> let's face it, pretty people to look at <laughs> yeah, to inspire you. Yeah. you know, just going to get a membership and just hang out. That's where you'll find me. <laughs> um, but that's a little part of the whole thing is to be inspired. And so a, a great building for that purpose. And then on the first floor of that building, will be a use that will complement all the other uses that we talked about. So we're looking at some marketplace concepts, food and beverage concepts that 
will um, make it easier for people living down here, working down here, um, to uh, grab something mm-hmm. for dinner or something to go. Or um, you know, we're still working through concepts, but the idea is that for, that it will be kind of a marketplace um, concept with. Um, a lot of conveniences. Well, let me, I have a variety of questions after seeing it. Let's start with the residential tower. I recall interviewing Jack Buck in July of 2001 at his home, and it was at the time where the Cardinals were making the case for the new ballpark. And Jack Buck was a huge advocate of the new ballpark. And I recall, and I'm paraphrasing, but I played the quote over and over again on KMOV when I was there. And he said, St. Louis, with all due respect, of course, is not San Francisco. It needs downtown to be thriving. And the key with the new ballpark isn't just the ballpark. It's the residential element. And I was a big advocate at the time, 24 years old, of that as well. And so I'm thrilled to see this residential element on the south side of downtown. You know, you've had some development on Washington Avenue, but now on the south side of downtown. So how do you, Bill view what kind of demographic you think you will have in what is a luxury apartment tower on the south side of, of downtown St. Louis, really, with the exception of what, the, what is the point four hundred building, uh, is, is really one of the only, only ones. Yeah, there are some, some apartments that are kind of sneaky that you don't really notice that are kind of around this area, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> you're right, the point four hundred is probably the most notable one. Uh, but our goal with the residential tower is to really create a community of renters that, you know, and they're not all, all going to be alike, but I think they will have a shared passion for baseball and Cardinals and and wanting to be downtown and being a part of this renaissance. Um, probably our biggest demographic would be young professionals, certainly, um, because the units will be one, two, and three bedrooms. And, um, you know, it's an apartment. So um, our, the, the key for us, though, is to create an amen- a series of amenities surrounding this apartment tower that um, attract people to this area. Mm-hmm. The first five levels or so is the parking garage. There'll be some retail on the ground floor surrounding it and wrapping it. But really, that provides a podium. And on top of that podium is the amenity deck. So you've got a pool. You've got outdoor cookout equipment. You've got... Um, spaces for people to do ping pong and this and that mm-hmm. outdoor stuff and then on the inside it's um, envisioned kind of like a personal Starbucks where you've got um, you know a coffee bar and you've got uh, breakout and meeting spaces and and things like that so everybody who will be a renter in this apartment will feel like this is kind of their living room but it's also semi-public with the other renters yeah and so um, we're trying to create a community. Um, our development partner, Cordish, has done a really good job of developing this type of product in Kansas City and in a couple other markets. But um, Kansas City is probably the best example because they've just opened one light and two light is about to open. And there's actually a, they've broken ground on three light. Um, that's the name of those apartment buildings in Kansas City. People can Google those and look at the pictures and they'll get a good feel for what this will must be doing well. Otherwise, the way they would have stopped at one. So there is a, there's clearly a market for it. There is. And they did so well. And they're very aggressive in and we will be aggressive in pre-leasing. And the reason is because <clears throat> we just want it to succeed. So we'll give sort of discounts for those signing up early. Obviously, we've got the baseball season all year in 2018 and then uh, even 19 to kind of market it and and play this and show. There'll be a um, um, like a 
a unit on the display unit. unit display unit yeah. thank you and um people can look at that starting this season as well so it's ready the projected date of it being ready would be spring opening day 2020 demographic wise like what i'm hopeful for is seeing young people you mentioned young professionals really be the majority now i know you can't market it that way there's a variety of reasons why that that can't be done but i'd love to see a youthful infusion in downtown st louis in particular as you mentioned the south south end of downtown st louis so from a price perspective one of the things that i was wondering about is is it something that you know from an affordability and i know you're not going to go into a price breakdown but an affordability standpoint what are you looking at and then secondarily was there thought given i would imagine there was thought given to condominiums versus apartments and why do you guys elect to go the apartment route yeah on the first question um we're still working out the price planning um but that stuff will be available you know when the display center's open and Mm -hmm. and we'll get right into it in the spring but the overall approach is pretty similar to what you're seeing rent wise in clayton and there's some new product obviously in clayton and Mm -hmm. some on the line and that uh will be a, a good comp for us downtown. Now, we've got to balance it out with sort of what we're seeing supply and demand-wise, but I think that'll be pretty similar to what we're going to be doing. Uh, it's a brand-new product, like we said. When you think about it, I mean, this has everything. It's got all those amenities I talked about, but it's got great views on all four sides. Yeah, right. You've got ballpark views, and, you know, you could watch the game. They're going to be a little small, the players, but they're about 600 feet away. Yeah, By man. comparison, To the, sit on the balcony and have yourself a taste and watch a Cardinal game from the 20th floor would be pretty, pretty it'd, cool. It'd be pretty cool. You might have want to have your TV on in your apartment, but just for the replays. Right. But, um, and it's going to be a legitimate, like, feel that you're part of the energy of a game. Mm-hmm. On the... Um, East side, you'll have great arch views and river views and all that. And then on the north side, the old courthouse and the downtown CBD buildings and all that. It's um, it's going to be a really cool uh, thing. And the nice thing about the parking podium below is it gets everybody up in height so that <coughs> even those lower units will have uh, decent views. So for you personally, after all of the headaches of getting you know from point A to point B being phase one, when you're able to look out your office and, and see this happening, how personally satisfying is this for you? You know, it's um, <clears throat> it's incredibly exciting for me because um, not just because it's been sort of my baby from day one, but because I get to enjoy it. I mean, I'm just excited to enjoy these spaces. And um, it's right near where I'm working because we're right in the stadium. Mm-hmm. And um you know, we've always been a little bit of a quiet kind of pocket of, of the south side of the CBD in downtown. Um, and now uh, we're sort of saying, no, this is where the action is. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what phase two is all about. And so I'm so excited about it. And and I'm even excited about a potential phase three, because even when we're done with this, there's still three um, surface lots that will be, you know, running east to west on the north side of the parcel. And um, I think the opportunity to do additional office or residential following phase two is, is going to be great. I'm curious what you would say to some people who would be critical of Ballpark Village because uh, they view it as taking up and then inadvertently, I don't think it was necessarily the goal, then businesses on Washington, for example, at the north side of downtown, a lot of them have, have shut down. And, well, the Cardinals 
essentially kicked us out. Not intentionally, but the byproduct of Ballpark Village was their businesses suffered and the Cardinals got tax breaks that they didn't. And I've heard that over the last few years, especially as we saw Washington boom like 09 through 2011, 12, and then fade. And many, and I would include myself, so I don't want to blame people uh, for the, the opinion, wonder if Ballpark Village played a role in that. What, what, what would your response to that be? Well, I think when we first opened uh, in 14, the, there was definitely like a, a, a level of energy, particularly with the um, kind of food and beverage aspect of it, that uh, probably pulled some uh, from other restaurants. I think as we've created sort of an equilibrium, though, down here, a couple things went away. But the fact is, there are now about a dozen more restaurants in downtown St. Louis than there were the day before we opened. So, you know, we may have shuffled some things around temporarily, but once the dust settled, I mean, every, people felt that downtown was still a great place to open and grow a restaurant. Uh, and so, I, you know, I think that um, there, some of that was inevitable. But I, when you look at the net increase in restaurants since we've opened, um, I, th- I think you can't really make that argument that we just you know killed some whole area of the of the downtown economy. I think realistically, also there are other elements that contributed to it. And again, I lived on Washington. And then, as we were talking before we sat down, I lived in Park Pacific for a year, so I lived down here, uh, and I grew up in the city. So I'm passionate about the city, and I think there were other elements that contributed to some of the issues with downtown. Clearly, you are investing in downtown. Clearly, your business is in downtown. How do you view? What is not just a local narrative, but also, in a sense, a national narrative about the health of, of the city of St. Louis, and in particular, downtown St. Louis? Well, you're right. I mean, we have a huge investment. After this second phase, the combined stadium and ballpark village investment will be over $750 million. And <clears throat> it's um, we're not going anywhere. We're here to stay. We're not um, – I mean, I every day I, I talk to my – stadium VP of Joe Abernathy and say, what do we need to do to this place so that we're not kicking ourselves in 20 years and 30 years and 40 years? This is not going away, the stadium. This isn't, this isn't a Turner Field situation? This is not a Turner Field situation. <laughs> if it is, I'm six feet under. I'm, I'm horizontal at that point. Because um, how do you replicate this? You just, we've created the space, and now we're making the, the best use of it, as meaning the Ballpark Village space. And so and where else would we want to be? I mean, this is such a good spot. We've got the confluence of highways. We've got a great urban core that we're right on the edge of. We've got views of our iconic uh, skyline, including the arch. And um, we know that it works. I mean, with good teams on the field, we're drawing 3.4 million people. So um, the model works for us, and we just want to keep it going and enhance it. And I think other teams have taken notice. And, and I've, I've probably hosted at least 20 teams who have come in over the last few years and said, what are you guys doing? What, what's up Ballpark Village thing all about? Because as this business matures, which, you know, you could argue the baseball and all professional sports are kind of a mature business. Now they can keep growing in various ways, whether it's media or otherwise. Right. But one of those frontiers that isn't fully developed by all these teams is adjacent development. Every team brings a huge amount of people to their games every year, and others are um, 
are making money off of those visits in the adjacent areas. And that's great. I mean, when you talked about Wrigleyville and other places that in some ways have been models for us, that's what you want. You want everybody benefiting from this traffic. But uh, from a, with your club hat on, you want to benefit it, benefit from it as well. And it's all about creating that environment and those adjacencies, and that requires really good planning. I sat down with uh, Dave Peacock. It happened to be yesterday. I know these will air at different dates. Uh, and we talked about the perception of St. Louis and what, of course, he was involved with, with trying to keep the Rams slash NFL in St. Louis and then the MLS. And while, obviously, those were defeats that he was not happy occurred he's hopeful that it opened people's eyes uh that there is a need for some improvement in the st louis region and one of those discussions is the merger of st louis city and st louis county from a cardinal's perspective how do you view that i support any effort that would make our region more efficient from a governmental standpoint and um get it giving our um you know, tax dollars a bigger bang for the buck. I, I have no prejudice towards either the city or the county in that regard. I live in the county, I work in the city, and I want them both to thrive. Mm-hmm. I feel like this regionalism is um, is hurtful. I think that, um, you know, we can start slow and go quicker, or we can go all in. I'm fine either way. Mm-hmm. But starting slower might be you know, merging some police departments and some city services with county services. And then, you know, easy, the low hanging fruit to save a buck, but keep the service as good or be, if not better. And then go into more um, that the harder lift will probably be uh, at the very top of the tree, if you're using that yeah. analogy, is going to be um, probably governance uh, connectivity and uh, merging, you know, where you've got a lot of entrenched political um institutions that are going to have to change if that's going to work right i just don't know if that'll happen i hope it will because i of course want the same thing that you want the more efficient government for the region i think it benefits all parties but i just don't know if people are willing to to make that change i don't know if you've seen things in in recent years that would indicate that would happen or well i look it's it's not going to be easy um but i think that if that's why i led the response by saying i think we need to get some early wins to show that it can be done and then take those early wins and go for the harder ones. Mm-hmm. So with with regard to what we've seen with the Rams and the MLS, from a Cardinal perspective, as you were observing that, what were you thinking? You know, with my St. Louis pride hat on, <clears throat> um, I was disappointed in both of those efforts failing. Um, you know, we should be a three-sport town. I mean, it's crazy. Now Nashville will be three and we'll be two. It's, it just doesn't make sense. Um, you know, with my Cardinal hat on, you know, when the Rams left, we maybe picked up a few sponsors. But, but surprisingly, we didn't pick up this groundswell of, you know, well, I was a Rams season holder, now I'm going to be a Cardinal. You know, right. it wasn't kind of like that. I think there's sort of different markets, which shows you that, we can be a three-sport town. It, it doesn't make sense um, that you would that the pie isn't big enough. It certainly is. Now, four sports, you know, then I start to think maybe that wouldn't be good for the Blues or the Cardinals um, on the margins. Mm-hmm. But 
uh, once the Rams left, I was all about getting MLS because, as I said, I think they could hand, we can handle it if, uh, and all three could be successful. I liked their plan for building next to Union Station. I thought keeping it downtown was important. I don't think I would have supported it had it been a county initiative. Um, oh, interesting. Why is that? Just because... I think well, some people would think you would probably be, perhaps, because it would maybe benefit the Cardinals, not that the MLS would necessarily take away from the Cardinals, but you would be... More pro-city than pro I just feel like when you have the choice, and we already have a, a city that, as I said before, has great um, infrastructure, particularly transportation infrastructure, parking, et cetera. Um, why put it in the county? I mean, this is where – this is the center. Mm-hmm. And, and we've got all this investment, not just us, but, you know, the arch grounds and the MX thing and the Union Station and, the, and all the things that have happened on, on Washington Avenue. Let's – Let's make all that better by putting it downtown. Mm-hmm. And so um, that would be my pick if we were going to do it. Uh, I'm going to put you in an awkward spot, but I'm telling you in advance. So <laughs> so maybe that softens it, but I certainly <laughs> want an answer on it. Uh, you, your family has owned a professional sports franchise and uh, certainly done so quite successfully. When you saw the manner with which it was being handled by the Rams, what were you and perhaps your father conversing about as you saw this play out? Because you could tell what offense they were running for a few years. What were you thinking? Well, I think it was a very unique and awkward situation for St. Louis to be in. I don't think it was uh, St. Louis's fault. I definitely would fault um, perhaps some of the negotiators that, that gave him the out clause too early. I mean, look, you're always going to give somebody an out after 30 years, but it was after 20. It just, I don't know if that was, if, if they could have kept it at 30, I think it all would have probably worked out. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it didn't happen. Um, I never met Stan Kroenke. I mean, and I go to a lot of rubber ch- chicken dinners around here. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, you know, now granted, they're mostly baseball oriented, but. Um, so you've I never see, met Stan Crockett? Never met never him. Met. I mean, I've seen Tom. I saw him this morning at a hockey <laughs> skate. He saw Tom still <laughs> this morning. He insisted on my goal. Um, but, uh, you know, I never. So what does that tell you? I mean, just it, what the irony is. I mean, his nickname or I mean, his middle name was uh, was from, from Stan Musial. And, and uh, Enos Stanley, him. yes. Right, yeah. yeah. So, um, but I mean, look, he's worth billions and. I think he looked at it from a, a sort of an overall league perspective, and he he um, and look. I don't think it was easy for him. I don't, you know. I think you have to look at it all from all sides. Um, uh, St. Louisans are mad at him for doing it, but um, it was probably not an easy call because you know, he still has to build. He's paid a huge expansion fee. He's got to build a two plus billion dollar stadium. Mm-hmm. And have a shared space tenant with with the, the Chargers. Chargers. I mean, it's, that's a tough load. I, at the end of the day, personally, I think he's going to regret having done it from a pure financial point of view. You know, when I would talk with Kevin Demoff about it, and I go, "Well, God, it seems like it's a lot to do." He goes, "Yeah, but that's under the assumption that it's actually going to work, and it's not a lock out there that it that it works because of that market." It's definitely not. I mean, it's a huge risk. I mean, but he was the one guy that was capable of right. taking that risk for the league to be in L.A. And St. Louis was a pawn in that game. Mm-hmm. You know, we did everything we could, and credit Dave for teeing up that whole plan. That plan could have worked. Mm-hmm. And and who knows, maybe down the road it might. But um, 
we shouldn't beat ourselves up as a city that the Rams left because there were forces outside of our control and forces unrelated to what's happening in St. Louis that led to the Rams leaving. And as you know, unfortunately, many do. I still don't know what the point of, I asked Dave this when we did the interview, what the point of that letter was before the vote that kind of kicked the wounded body of St. Louis on the way out the door. I think that was the single biggest mistake Stan Kroenke made. And if I were him in that position, I would have said, are you kidding me? I'm not going to write that letter. Why would I have to write this letter? Come on. You guys can see the situation. We want to move. Why You need me to kick the, the town I'm leaving in the face on the way out? What? That's just so ridiculous. Why would you agree to even allowing other owners make you write that letter? I, my, my theory, I said this to Dave, was I wonder, as, as remedial as it might be, so maybe I'm thinking at too low of a level, was they did it so they said, well, we can't go back now. You know, I mean, my God, look what we did on our on our way out. They're so confident that and then and then the committee voted five to one for the Carson plan, which is fascinating in and of itself. Why the committee would ask him to write the letter, the other owners, or why he would agree to write the letter are all complete <laughs> mysteries to me. <laughs> well, along those lines in baseball, unless I'm missing something really obvious and you go, hey, Tim, you're missing the out. Since the turn of the century, there's only been one baseball team that's relocated. Am I correct on that? Am I right? Everybody? Nurse? Yeah. Nurse? Okay, yeah, so yeah. it was, it was Washington, became, Montreal. Yeah, So, whereas the NFL is having three here in the last, what, two years, voting-wise, uh, two seasons. And I'm curious if that is a conscious effort on the part of baseball to not fall into the trap of these moving parts because hey right now if 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 sports were stocks while the nfl might have had or still may have the most value i think if you viewed it as a commodity you'd, you'd, you'd be hesitant to, to buy more stock in the nfl for reasons outside of the relocation but that's part of it people are looking at it and going i'm not so sure you see their numbers on television going down there's perceived anyway you would know better stability in major league baseball and the fact that you've only had one team in 20 plus years relocate is part of an example. Yeah, I think baseball has been <clears throat> fortunate that the last 20 years have been stable on a lot of fronts, both in terms of only one relocation and labor piece. And it's come to the brink a couple times, but really for the time that we've been involved from 96 on, it's it, we've avoided any uh, major issues. And that's so important for a league. And uh, But back to kind of the relocation, um, you really only have two teams right now, um, the um, the the uh, Oakland A's, who really need a new stadium and to figure that situation mm-hmm. out, and Tampa Bay uh, Rays, who also – and so I don't know – I don't think there's at risk of, of any relocation there, although who knows with the Rays, but they're both trying to figure it out in their local markets. And if they do – I think you could argue that baseball, uh, for the foreseeable future, shouldn't have any relocations beyond that point. Either. I saw a piece, I would imagine you saw it as well, and, and, and of course you probably are more aware of the details, but I think it was Tracy Ringlesby about not only uh, new divisions, but the potential for expansion, citing Montreal, getting a franchise, and I can't recall where else he was talking. Uh, it might have been Portland? Uh I don't think he went down the Vegas road. What is your thought on baseball expansion? Is it something that's in the near future? I don't think it's something the owners are talking about. Um, <clears throat> I think they're much more focused on some things that relate to, for example, pace of the game and um, 
um, the product itself, which, you know, we haven't really changed the rules in baseball for 100 years. I mean, football and basketball and hockey, they'll change the rules every year and no one cares. Yeah. Even but golf just had a major shift. Huge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if the golf can change yeah. the, their rules. I'm not leaving here before I, without asking you about your round with Dustin Johnson last year, for the <laughs> okay, record. For sure. Don't let me leave here without asking about that. <laughs> um, but your question was, was more about, you know, kind of stability and, and all that. And, and I'm forgetting that. What was the Well, it's expansion. Talk of expansion in, yeah. in Major League Baseball. And he was laying out the divisions and all this. Oh, stuff yeah. Divisions. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't see that happen. Yeah, I mean, there are some markets out there that could probably support baseball. Um, you you know, theoretically, the the New York Metro market could could have another could have a yeah. third one, but good luck Go trying to get that Yankees. past yeah. the Yankees <laughs> and the Mets. Um, so, I mean, who knows? You, you can't predict too far out into the future, but I don't see it as a as a live topic right now with owners. Hope you're enjoying our interview with the Cardinal president, Bill DeWitt III. If you are enjoying all of these interviews on the Inside STL Podcast Network, whether it be the Tim McKernan Show or the Cat Chat, please make sure, please make sure you support the sponsors. If you don't, the podcast goes away. So please make sure you support the sponsors. Uh, And if your insurance costs a leg and an arm, then you ought to call James Carlton, State Farm. You might be sitting there thinking that I don't know what the hell I'm talking about because of my record in my locks of the week category. Well, here's a lock I can guarantee. You will enjoy your experience with the James Carlton State Farm Agency. If you're in front of your computer, while you're listening to this, go to carltoninsurance.net right now and just get a quote to see what's the good word. Ask yourself a question. What's my insurance company doing for me? Then go check them out on Google and Facebook and see what they're doing for others in your community. The good news is you probably already have the product that James offers. The bad news is if you're not with James, you're without question sacrificing service and likely paying too much. It's James Carlton, the James Carlton State Farm Agency, 314-961-4800. That's 314-961-4800. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. We made reference to the Rams ownership situation here in St. Louis, and I think it's now appreciated. And I know we always joke about the cat being a rights holder. This is going to sound rights holder-ish, but, you know, this is my honest opinion. The stability that you, your family, has brought to this franchise, but also the success and then what's going on with Ballpark Village. I think I've said this to your dad, or maybe I said it to you in an interview, and I could be off the mark. I I know I've said it to one of you, that you guys are going to, whenever the time may come, be viewed as heroes in St. Louis for what's going on. This is a golden era in Cardinal baseball, and it does. It's not just like five years. I mean, it goes back to really the start of the DeWitt family purchasing the Cardinals. I know you can't say, yes, you're exactly right. We are heroes. Keep <laughs> <That's>, talking. <laughs> yeah, I just keep talking, Tim. <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I've said it to, to your president of baseball operations, who, as I made reference to, was thrilled to see me walking around the hallways of Bush Stadium here a couple minutes ago. But uh, the, the fact that the organization's been competitive at the very least – from 2000 through 2017. No other franchise can say that, but then also what's going on with the development standpoint. Um, from a family, I mean, it's family. From a family sense, what does what does that mean to you? Especially, I mean, it's your father, you know, but you're involved now too. But yeah, it's, um, it, it's really gratifying because <clears throat> I do think stability is an underappreciated aspect of what makes a uh, franchise successful. Um, when you look at a lot of the ones that are, 
um, they typically have a stable situation, whether it be on the baseball side or on the ownership side or both. Um, you know, we've been in this for the long haul, and I think that's um, one of the hardest things to do in sports is to actually pull off sustained competitiveness. And I don't mean, you know, uh, winning every year at the championship level, but every year having a shot at, um, at, at going all the way. And I think we've been able to do that. Now, we're always running scared, though. I mean, we, um, uh, we're desperate to get back to the playoffs after only two years out. And, um, but I think we've always done things with an eye towards both short-term and long-term uh, roster planning with the team and also facility-wise. But in terms of the roster, you, you just can't go all in with your chips in any one given year in this sport. You should only go in as much as you feel like you're protecting future years' ability to do that. And so some years you may go on a little more and a little less, but we're fortunate that we're in a city that supports us so much that in a middle market we can act like a big market. Mm -hmm. Not the biggest, you know, not the New York, Chicago, and L.A., but just below that. And that gives us an opportunity, if we do our job, to be competitive every year. And the thing about baseball is – any of those 10 teams that get into the playoffs can win it all. I mean, we've seen it. You know, the, the Giants right. who, sure. who beat us in the LCS went on to do it through a wild card. Wild card Red we, Sox 04. 06 Cardinals. Yes. Um, <clears throat> We're flopping around in the final month of the season. Yeah. Went on a tear. So any team can can make a run. Some have better chances than others once you make it. But but realistically, in other sports, that's not the case. NBA eight seeds don't even have a chance to get out yeah, of the Yeah, so like the regular season isn't important. And I, re- I would argue that the because in baseball only 10 spots make it, the other three sports, more teams make it. Only 10 make it. Therefore, the regular season has true value. And um, it's the way it should be because if more teams made it, then you would have teams – because of the nature of baseball, where anybody can, get, can win any given game or any given series, um, a fringy 12 or 13 or 14 seed shouldn't have the right after 162 games to run the table in October. I agree with that. I, I'm curious what your sense of the fan base is. When I did an interview with uh, John Mazalak, I guess maybe two months ago, Seamaster, uh, and I said, this is a unique time in my memory of Cardinal history. Uh, in which there is frustration, even though it's not like we're watching the organization come off a 68-win season, but there's actual frustration. You clearly, you just use the term, we're always running scared. Uh, and it's only been two years without postseasons. Both years competitive just didn't get into the postseason. What is your perception of the fan base? And the term I would use is angst. What is your perception? I think that's a fair word. I mean, restless, you know, whatever you want to call it, that, um, that this plan that we're on is, um, you know, in the recent past hasn't paid off. Um, but I do feel like if you look at our system and fans are now more educated than I think when we first started doing what we're doing, um, they understand what we're doing. I think they generally agree with our approach to it. Um, some may argue we'll go for it this year because next year's next year. And, you know, that's one way to do it. But, you know, the, the teams that are in the smaller revenue positions, their competitive windows come and go. 
And, and if they, even if they do their job perfectly, mm-hmm. they have a chan- they, they can have a chance to compete one year and they're going to do the free agent thing and, and their kids are maturing at the same age and then boom, they can do it. And then ultimately, inevitably, they have to start over. Right. We're trying to do the hardest thing in sports, which is to be competitive every year. And that requires short and long-term thinking. Um, but to your point of where the fans are, I think they understand that's what we're trying to do. Uh, if it doesn't work for five years in a row, obviously we're not maybe we have to take a different approach but we still have a very good minor league system mo and and gersh and the staff have done a great job of continuing to feed the pipeline with good picks down in the draft uh, rankings and um, those guys are bearing fruit either as trade pieces or as our future and um, we can build around those guys. It look, it, if you if you believe the prognosticators and the talent evaluators at the kind of national level, Baseball America, sure. et cetera, you know our our system is in the top third, and where we are in revenues, we can supplement that with a you know a, a, a free agent pick here or there, uh, building around this core that we have and. And and we think that that gives us a chance to be uh, almost in the playoffs, if not in it, and make a run every year. So we're sitting here on January 4th, right? Yeah, January 4th. And I'm of the opinion that it's just, it's, I feel like at any minute, there's going to be another big cardinal move. Now, I know you can't tell me. I'm not asking for it. It'd be lovely if you wanted to share. But I, you probably don't even know what it's going to be yourself, I guess, at this point. But I just feel like it's it's going to happen. Plus, you just look at the roster. There's clearly a, a hole in, in one particular spot at closer. But yet baseball is moving like at a glacial pace this offseason. It's so bizarre to have like nine of the top ten free agents still unsigned, as I said, January 4th. What what do you make of, of that? It's, it's very unusual. And I think... Part of it is some of the big markets are stuck in this um, luxury tax sort of borderline situation where they might need to take a year off, get below it, so they can kind of go for it in the future year. Um, There are some marquee free agents coming on next year. Mm -hmm. I think some of these big markets as well are strategizing a little bit. Can we plan for absorbing one of those huge salaries next year by doing some things this year? Um, And then you also have a little bit of a sense that, you know, some of the teams that are still capable of pouncing haven't quite done so yet because they are just feeling the market out. So, but isn't that weird? They're still feeling the market out on January 4th? It is weird. Yeah. It is weird. I think... um, I don't, you know, those are a few reasons, in yeah. my opinion, that, that things are uh, slow, but um, um, I don't maybe really know why that's the case. Is it fair to say that the Cardinals are not done this offseason? You know, I think that Mo feels like if we go to opening day with this team, we're fine. We have a really good shot at um, a playoff spot. Um, he also feels that if we did that, we would. Um, have an opportunity to make a move in the in sort of mid-year if, if we're in that trajectory. Mm-hmm. And so that's a pretty good approach when you can enter the season with the ability to make a move with a team that you feel is capable of being a postseason team already. Having said that, there's still some great names out there. And if the price is right, you know, we'll probably be involved um, in either players or money or some combination of the two. Does it bother you when you hear, if you even hear or read, oh, well, the DeWitts are cheap, saving money? 
I feel like the facts don't even come close to backing that up, but that, that narrative still pops up out there. And I go, well, God, they went out and spent all this on Dexter Fowler and then Brett Cecil. Where does this come from? And I, I feel like it's just like kind of an old... But I mean, hey, it's your name, your family being attached to it despite the success, and yet that narrative still pops up. And it's not a common thing. It's from a wing of the fan base. The only ones that hurt are ones that are true and hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so if so somebody says, gonna... Tim, you're short and bald, I'd go, well, <laughs> tough but fair. <laughs> so if, like, um, for example, if we were 10th um, in revenues and 20th in payroll, that would and we stunk that would be a completely legitimate criticism but the fact is is we've been around 10th in revenues if you if you take the last say 10 years or even 5 i guarantee you our revenue rank and our payroll rank are about neck and neck 9 and 10 8 and 9 whatever mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. in that zone and so, you know, we're spending to the ability that we have to spend without deficit spending, which you can do once in a while in this game. There's no nobody, you know, policing your bottom line. Mm-hmm. But we're in it, as I said before, in, the, in, in it for the long haul. If we blow it all this year and all of a sudden have to catch back up and our bankers and look, we've got some debt on the books. We're building a big project. Sure. We've got, you know, I, the, the funniest one is, well, Ballpark Village is coming online. That's a whole new revenue stream. They're going to be able to put into payroll. And I'm like, if you just spent your revenues and didn't spend your net income stream, you'd be in real trouble. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, you've got an... In- like in comment section, you <laughs> okay, know, these, these aren't enough. necessarily like, you know, guys with MBAs going, well, the Cardinals. I mean, I, I recognize it's that, a, but it still comes up. It's, right. It's a big investment that, it, you know, you hope will be a pro- create a profit stream from that investment mm-hmm. to pay off the investment and then provide an ability to, who knows, bump payroll over time down the road. Sure, that would be the goal. But um, it doesn't sequentially work the way that you, you make the big investment and then instantly go for the free agents. Yeah. I, and I remember talking with Mark Lamping, you know, your predecessor, and he said, you have to understand, we have to, because I love the old ballpark. And I'm just like, you know, what's the, and he goes, well, you have to understand, this new ballpark allows us to do some things on the field that we would not be able to do without it. And I don't think, and I understand, I don't fault people for not understanding that, uh, but but that's a reality of the business of baseball. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, you're going to get that, and you have to be eyes wide open with the business. And if you do have thin skin, you're just not going to enjoy yourself. And I think um, you need to stay in tune with what people are saying, though. And I don't want to say, I don't want to make the comment that I don't, care or don't uh, ever look at that stuff because I do. And I think it's healthy for somebody in my role or in Mo's role to understand in aggregate what the trends are out there from a social media standpoint, uh, from a fan base standpoint. And look, every time I go walk down the hall and get a ticket sales update, essentially I'm getting an update on the uh, how fans are voting on how we're doing, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the bottom line. If mm-hmm. they're buying tickets, um, in it, it means they're supporting our, our situation. Do you listen to sports talk radio? Uh, here and there, yeah. I, I love your show. I, wow. I think, uh, Play that for a promo I, on um, loop. <laughs> I really um, – I think Doug is one of the funniest guys in the world. So you are a legitimate a, list. You're citing oh, yeah. things oh, here. Oh, yeah. You're not just humoring me. I think the cat does a, a great job of straddling, you know um, – <laughs> 
two worlds. Oh, I wish Joe Strauss were still with us to, to play that for Joe Strauss. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, like he he gets what it means to be uh, a Fox guy, but also a talk radio guy, and um, that's not an easy. It is not thing an easy do. thing. It is not an easy thing to do. And I'm waiting for my compliment. I mean, you talk about Doug and the Cat. I mean, I'm there. I mean, what? It's a little hard to do it face to face, but I'll I'll throw one I'll Please throw one your email. way. I'll throw one your way. You you no, definitely so know insecure. this this market, and uh, I feel like you do have a pulse on the fans. Thank you. So and, if you uh, do listen, you've heard me say I. I, for whatever reason, I can't get on board with the red hats on the road. And I know you're the uniform guy, and we have to talk about okay, it. Okay, fair enough. So, fair I mean, enough. the Cardinal uniforms are like, I mean, they're there with any uniform in any sport. College football, basketball, and any of the four pro, or if you include MLS. You went back to the red hats on the road. The fans voted on the blue hats. So, I understand for the blue hats on the road, you stayed the course with the red hats on the road. Why? And is there anything I can do to get the blue hats back? Well, the red hats on the road are only when we're playing teams that don't have uh, red hats. Yeah, but so, I mean, that's like 80%. But, well, it's most of the time. But um, the. Um, it, it's kind of a long. Like, how much time do we have? <laughs> oh, hey, we can go. We can go over four hours on this I mean, topic. I um, I am passionate about the uniform. I know. And obviously, and, I am yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Except and, uh, I'm not running the team. No. I'm running a moron radio show. <laughs> but I did this thing for um, UniWatch uh, a, a while ago, a couple years ago, and actually, it's still kind of in their archives if people want to look at it. But where I really laid it out of kind of my thinking on the uniform and um. It was not easy to do a third jersey because I felt like classic teams I agree with should that. have white at home and city name on the road in grays. Well, it's 2017, and now it's 2018. But mm-hmm. back then it was 2012 or 13. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this, but it just seemed like we were – we had such an opportunity to do some things a little differently. I mean, you could go nuts with it. Uh, Sort of three jerseys is enough for me. In fact, all these weekends where we're doing like crazy stuff or pink for Mother's Day and blue, light blue for, you know, camo for this. Right. Uh, it just, it bugs Good the crap you. out of me. I really don't. But it's an MLB Listen thing. The crowd. They're going wild here. I, in the I guess. But I mean, people buy them when we sell. It's just, I don't know. But that isn't, I, I don't like that stuff because I don't think there should I'm be a camo you. bird. <laughs> no offense to the military because right. I am, nobody's a bigger fan. Right. But it's just um, a Cardinals should be red. So uh, putting that aside, the third jersey was an opportunity to sort of do something that I felt like we were missing. And one is that cream color, which when I look at those old jerseys, when I walk through our museum, which I'm very proud of, I always gravitate towards the wool cream um, flannels. And it's, it's not just the look of the dirty old thing. It's the, it's the color. Mm -hmm. It's that warm color and doing the warm color and bringing back piping, and using the new birds and putting St. Louis on there, it felt like it was putting a lot of things that I was anxious to do that you can't just one-off do either at home or on the road. So I did them all together in the road or the uh, the Saturday jersey. Um, and that's been a success. So I would kind of say that we're in a good state of equilibrium with the jerseys right now. With the hats, though, um, I actually like the look of the red hat on the road because we were um, – red shoes i wanted to go black shoes back when we were sort of changing things back for the old retro look so you'd have black shoes and you know um a a, 
a blue cap and a blue belt, and that kind of matches, right? Mm-hmm. But red shoes, blue belt, blue hat, that doesn't really work. I mean, I talked to Ozzy Smith about it. He's like, that's a disaster, hey, Mr. Fashion Plate. He's like... <laughs> <laughs> he is GQ smooth. <laughs> right. So um, the two hats on the road was a way of kind of splitting the baby, to be honest. Yeah. And it was... Um, and the way we justified it was... I've always loved sporting events where the two teams uniform-wise are perfect contrasts. Nothing bugs me more than like a a neon green football team playing a neon and neon blue and green football team. Yeah. Like the, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, or, you know, like a, um, a Cardinals Reds is just not a great uniform matchup. Right. It's a great central division matchup. So therefore, when we were on the road and we were splitting the baby on the hat, my thinking was at least do it so that there's some contrast there against the other team that we're playing. And that was the reasoning. I don't know if it's the way we'll do it forever, but... At least you know that they're stopped by. It's like no, a Tony. It's like a post-game Tony Larusa <laughs> interview. You may disagree no, with the move, but you him. can't disagree I that he the thought it through. Six today, but I thought here's the reason. So, so it comes back to the black shoes. That's that's the centerpiece of the whole thing. Well, we, that we couldn't do it. Right. We couldn't do it because when I told MLB we want to do it, they're like, "Are you kidding me? Now all the suppliers are going to be on my ass because there's." Yeah. You know, every player has to order. They're already ordering millions of these red ones at different colors and combos and this and that. Now i got to add a whole other black thing, um, as well as just logistically, my equipment guys are like, really? <laughs> we got uniform changes and hat changes and this and that. Some of the boys, you know what they liked? I doubt you're doing this. This was before your family owned the team, and this is when I was growing up. Holiday and Freeze, when they were here, they loved the powder blues. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the powder blues? I really like the powder blues, and I think that it's an example of how a particular uniform perfectly encapsulates and represents an era that we're proud of. And so to me, the powder blues are always about Willie McGee and Jack Clark and and Whitey and Ozzy and all that. Mm -hmm. And to bring it back in a permanent or a semi-permanent way, to me, in a way, almost disrespects that era, in in my view. I would never say categorically we're never going to do that because I do love that look once Mm -hmm. in a while. But it just so perfectly fits looking back, that group. I was just curious from a fashion standpoint, if you go, oh, my God, because you don't see a lot of powder blue, I don't believe anyway, unless I'm missing team powder blue jerseys. But you're right, that was the era. Mm-hmm. And so when I do think of powder blues, I all, instantaneously, there's Ozzy Smith, there's Whitey Herzog. You know? jer- uh, the Saturday uniform with the St. Louis and the birds and the piping on a powder blue jersey would really look cool to me. Yeah. And that's tempting. But, you know, like are this. we going to do that like on this. Sunday and the cream on Saturday and the, re- and the white on? <laughs> you're turning we, then you start another team. turning into team, team X, Y, or Z. Yes, we exactly. all know who they yeah, are. Yeah, exactly. And I'm disappointed. All right. Final thing. So I, I've, I, I stopped playing golf for like 10 years for whatever reason. I have no idea why well, I was playing a lot of poker and running my business, I guess, which sounds weird to put the two together. But that's what I was doing. So now I'm back into it. I had no idea how good of a golfer you are. You, I'm sure, will downplay it, but a great golfer. And I was down at the Honda Classic last year and uh, was at the 18th hole, 72nd hole, I guess, when Fowler won. And I was watching the Golf Network, and they're like, yeah, and then there's a pro-am at Seminole, and Bill DeWitt will be playing with Dustin Johnson. And he's, I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> <laughs> what in the world? 
So you, what? What? I mean, is this is like is your average Saturday Sunday yeah, around no, with this Justin DJ? Nothing. What do you want? This is no big deal. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, this is what he I calls do. me up because yeah, he yeah. wants to look at my swing. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, it's a pretty special thing. Um, Seminoles, a, a club that is always had a real deep connection to the game and there's all these like hardcore industry type members and i've been fortunate to be a member uh for a few years and we kind of know the the gretzky family from various Mm -hmm. things um some of it going all the way back to the wha days with my father and the cincinnati stingers and wow yeah and hockey and stuff and i played hockey growing up as a result of that experience um got to know wayne and janet and when this seminal thing happened, um, I kind of thought, well, wouldn't that be sweet you know, <laughs> to have him as my partner? And and I so Wayne kind of worked his angle and 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 lined up Dustin as a partner. And it's so funny because you know you just you see that on TV, and then when he's right by you, it's it's kind of the same thing. But you hear that pop of the club, and you're just like, oh my god, this is a whole other thing. <laughs> Uh, but having him be on your team, like we're a partner, right. and you know he's my partner, and you're, uh, <laughs> it's pretty intimidating, but it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So, like, you would hit the ball again, if you don't mind me asking. Scratch? We in the pluses? What? What? Where is your? I'm game like a two handicap. Okay, at this point. so you have game, obviously, but so you're hitting the ball. You hit a ball well. What does it look like with your partner? Um, if I hit it as good as I can possibly hit it. And then he hits a drive and hits it well. It's about um, 70 yards past no me. 60 yards way. past me. In fact, this one hole, this is, you'll like this story. Um, we were doing pretty well. We were on the um, back nine and we were on a par three. And I kind of screwed up. And so I'm on his shoulders on this hole, which I am on most <laughs> holes, obviously. But on this particular hole, you know, he's naked because I'm nowhere to be found. And he misses like a sort of a six foot par putt. Okay. And so he's pissed. Okay. He's but, legitimately pissed. He's in this. Oh, thing. he's pissed. Really? He's pissed. And as only he can be, which is kind of just like that right. slow walk, but <laughs> right. like, you know, you right. know how. But the next hole is a par five. And <laughs> so he gets up there and lets out everything. I mean, it was like, and I hit a really good one too. And in that particular case, he was a hundred yards. Oh my God. <laughs> and I thought to myself, like, you know, there's, as far as he hit it, hits it, there's still some in the tank. If there's either a reason to be, or if you've just got the red ass going oh my and it was just, it was pretty cool. Oh my so, and like, I look back on that and, and cause it's a, it was such an incredible thing to see that I'm glad he missed that putt. <laughs> yeah, because you got to witness yeah, the 370-yard yeah, drive or just something. nuts. Who else was in the group? Well, last year, it, this is another good story. Um, Ricky Fowler was the other guy. Oh, with, no way. Yeah, with Buddy Marucci, who the, was the member. So the member pairs up with a pro, right? Yes. And Buddy was the, a member, and he's a super accomplished golfer. I mean, Fowler like, had a late evening that night, if well, I'm not mistaken, based is, on his this Snapchat. Is, this is what the funny part is. So... Um, uh, Buddy is a super establishment golf guy. He was a Walker Cup captain for two years, you know, won a bunch of national championships as an amateur, et cetera, uh-huh. et cetera. So we're on the first tee waiting. Dustin's there on time. I'm there on time. We've all hit balls. <laughs> Buddy's hit. No sign of Ricky. Nowhere to be found. You don't see any orange flag. And like, you know, um, Buddy was his captain for the Walker Cup. Like, so there's a little bit of that, you know. 
hey, buddy, you better get your butt yeah, here, right. you know. And he's texting him and all this <laughs> stuff. Like a minute before our tea time, um, he walks, he sort of strolls in completely you know, hungover probably. <laughs> I mean, not probably. Like, let's face it. Yeah, let's be honest. And, and the fact is, um, Ricky knows a lot of Cardinal people because he's in Jupiter. Absolutely. We train there. He's got some friends. I think he's um, got a player who lives with him. I'm not yeah, mistaken. I yeah. don't know if we want to name him, but I. Yeah. 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 So. Um, a minor league player. Right? Yeah, but he's um, he knows all the Cardinal stuff. So anyway. He walks up on the first tee, and, and everybody's just looking at him like, you. And he's got this grin on his face like, you know what I've been doing. Just be time? quiet. My ears hurt. Yeah. Was this like a... It was early. Oh, it was yeah. Early. Oh, yeah. It was, it was early. Yeah. So he gets up there and stripes one like 300 down the middle. And it's just like, really? I mean... Um, when, you, when you watch these guys do this, I mean, then, what, are you, what are you seeing that they can do that... That I mean, you know, a lot of people listen to this. They're like, "Oh, if I break a hundred, sweet! I'm in the category of oh, I'm trying to break eighty right now." You obviously, as a two or a guy who can play, what is it that makes? Because Ricky's about my size. And yeah, he's just shipping it. Great, great swing. Yeah, um, generates a ton of clubhead speed with with a very simple move and it's a lot of lower body action and <clears throat> great lag with his club right. as it comes down. Great hands and arms. They're just every facet of the game. These guys are really good at. Yeah, and to. Um, to be at that level, you know, on tour, and those two guys are both top five in the world, Dustin number one, but um, it's just fun to watch because every facet of their game is super good. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And to be in a group with it, were you nervous? Like on the first tee, you got Dustin Johnson and Ricky Fowler in your group. One just won a title the 24 hours beforehand. You know, I played some competitive golf in college. You know, I played at Yale and, and I've played in some things along the way. Uh, I wouldn't say n- it was nervous, but more just jacked. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this, just like, I cannot wait to do this. <laughs> oh, good. A, so how did you, how was that for? t-shirt that's a defining moment uh luckily at seminal number ones you know there's a pretty much room out there so that (laughs) wasn't the problem the first t-shot wasn't the problem it was more just like my goal was to make a few birdies and help him out on maybe ones that he wouldn't make birdie on or make a a good par where he might have gone for it and missed or something so we came in second last year who won it uh, uh, rose um, justin rose Rose had a great round and then the the previous year mickle or um McElroy, Rory won it and shot like 62 on his own ball in the wind. It was like, <laughs> so, I mean, you got these guys and they're competitive. And I think from the Honda, like, you know, probably the 25 of the top, like 40 golfers in the world uh, actually played the Honda and also played at that in the Seminole pro the next day. Wow. That's something else. It's pretty cool. You excited about Bell Reeve? I am. Yeah. Very excited. Um, you know, just to have a national championship here with the PGA and, <laughs> having to be the hundredth, I think St. Louis will support it, come out in numbers, and really put on a great show. Well, the game is at a spot right now with those young guys, two of whom you played with, but Spieth Thomas, possibly we'll see Tiger in St. Yeah. Louis. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty cool. It would be cool, yeah. especially if Tiger can get back to the t- upper echelon. Yeah. And I think he can. I've, I've been saying it all along. If he can get back out there, I think he's still got time. To, to, to win on tour, and I think he will. Are you going to play in the Seminole? I don't even know what it's called. Is it Pro Am? Member guest? Yeah, the Pro Am. Okay, yeah, all right. Uh, uh, pro member, it's called. Okay, all right. But are you yeah, playing? I'm going to play it again this year. Who, who, who you got this I got, you got Tiger? What do you got? You got, got DJ, DJ again? Lined up. Yep, yep. You guys yeah, were on a mission after finishing second <laughs> yeah, last year. Uh, Bill, I've enjoyed the hell out of this. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So there it is our conversation with Bill DeWitt 
the third. I'm really curious what you thought. What stood out to you? I mean, if you're a golfer, that had to be like heavenly to hear the Ricky Fowler, Dustin Johnson stories. Uh, if you're a fan of the Cardinal uniforms, the red cap, Navy cap discussion, which again, uh, is so trivial to many and yet so important to me, which is just really odd. There's no defense for it. Uh, and what about his comments on Stan Kroenke? What about his response to critics saying the ballpark village put some businesses downtown out of business? What about his response to the accusations of him and his father being cheap? Your thoughts, email me, tmckernan at insidestl.com. Really hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you haven't listened to all the interviews, they're all up for you, and many of them are evergreen, as they say. So you can go back and look at the list, subscribe to the show, and you'll see all of the interviews with some big-name people uh, who have sat down for about an hour at least with us on the uh, Tim McKernan Show. We want to thank Gateway Buick GMC for their support of the show. Gateway, the right way at I-270 and McDonald Boulevard online at stlouisbuickgmc.com. If you're in the market for a new car, if you're in the market for a pre-owned car, if you need to get your car serviced, make sure you go to Gateway Buick GMC. They're at I-270 and McDonald Boulevard, and they're online at stlouisbuickgmc.com. So, so far already this year, Dave Peacock and Bill DeWitt Third. You can go back to 2017 and Gary Pinkle and Jack Danforth and Clay Travis and Jay Randolph Sr. and Lux from 105.7 The Point and Dave Glover from 97.1 and Alderman Megan Green, uh, Alderwoman Megan Green, and uh, there's so many people. Keith Kachuk coming up, uh, Mike Kelly coming up, all these names coming up for you on the Tim McKernan Show, and we want you to continue to listen. Subscribe to the podcast. Thank you to thehomeloanexpert.com. Thank you to the James Carlton State Farm Agency and thank you to Gateway Buick GMC for their support. Thank you for listening. Thank you to my producer, John Seymour. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. 